0: Subject 1, alias Hackalope. Subject has a history of working in computer security for over 20 years. He has been observed at several Fortune 500 companies and federal agencies during that period. He has been amassing historical
1: information related to espionage and covert action as well as corporate malfeasance. Subject 2, alias Emir. Subject has a history of working in computer security
0: for the last 10 years. He has been observed at NASA facilities regularly. We've also tracked him to the gym where he seems to be bodybuilding. We are amassing evidence to charge him with felony for skipping leg day and curls on the squat rack. Subjects are suspected of having information related to hacking the Gibson. Uh, The accounting subdirector in the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. So, what would the FBI think if they found you were running a centrifuge spinning at 90,000 RPMs?
1: They might think I wanted to take some transuranic elements and, uh, and uh, distill them for nefarious purposes. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting thing. So today's topic is Stuxnet, of all things, regarding uranium enrichment and Iran. But uh, I did not know that there is a specific uh, RPM designated to uranium enrichment uh, zippy type centrifuges. And those are actually, like, you, you can't have those, you know, obviously.
1: That's interesting. Because
0: the government knows what you're doing with those. Um, yeah. Very, yeah. very specific.
1: It's kind uh, of funny that the Department of, Ener- of Education wants to encourage enrichment, and the Department of Energy wants to discourage enrichment.
0: I know. <laughs> a wacky balance in the government. <laughs> so you're, you're familiar with uh, a Yeah.
1: Yes, uh, the yeah. industrial control uh, protocol stuff used for, for controlling factory stuff. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. It was just an acronym for supervisory control and data acquisition, as if that really means anything.
1: Yeah, um, I remember for NASA,
0: so we love our acronyms.
1: Yes, I, I remember that there's essentially no, or at least in the in the base version of the protocol, there's essentially no security built into it at all. Uh, it's yeah. all broadcast level, and uh, and you can basically send any command to any node.
0: Yep, and that that is still an issue uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I know you've probably seen uh, the reports. What was it, like three or four years ago, Hacker took down all of the traffic lights in California because he got into the SCADA control system for that. Um, there's been countless studies done of our nuclear program where we're like, oh, wow, there's no security on the SCADA controllers. Like You could just yeah. launch crap.
1: Yeah it's um, it's network security is, is monumentally important because there's mm-hmm. no built-in security within the system it's
0: Yeah like when, once you're in you are completely just gone. It's not a, it's, it's you toast
1: It's not just SCADA. When I worked at NIH, we did a lot of the same isolation for uh, all of the MRI scanners and stuff like that Mm -hmm. because they were all running fossilized versions of Windows that were, you know, completely and utterly hackable. It's not quite as bad as SCADA, but it's one of those, hey, if there's no security in the system, you've got to take other controls.
0: Yeah, I mean, same thing with uh, embedded systems and uh, satellites and stuff like that. The only saving grace being that they're really freaking small. So, like... (laughs) You can't really upload too much of malware to them because you just crash out. You know, one good one good example of a like a quote unquote tiny data system would just be a thermostat because all they do are their sensors. They take in data and then control things based on that. Anyways, back to Stuxnet. Uh in 2010, there was a company that um, uh, in Iran actually uh, pinged one of their uh, security engineers. Got, he ran a security firm. These were one of his customers and they called him. And it was like a Saturday. He was at a wedding and he still took this phone call because he, he was friends with one of the owners and he was like, all right, whatever. And they were explaining to him uh, what was going on. They were like, you know, hey, dude, our systems are all blue screen and we don't understand why. And he's like, well, it could be like two pieces of software, you know, just malfunctioning. Also, it's just Windows. So it's just blue screens for the hell of it sometimes. But when he started looking into it and uh, learned that they had just completely wiped these systems. And then as soon as they came back online, blue screened almost like within a few minutes. That, that got some suspicion, uh, coming out of him. So, uh, fast forward to like a lot of researchers looking into this stuff and everything. And, um, we have Stuxnet. The name just comes from two random words that they, uh, they found in the software somewhere and just combined them together because security researchers and hackers were incredibly creative and
1: in we still things. are. So I thought that it was detected by, by one of the virus companies. Uh, uh, Kaspersky? R- Kaspers- was it Kaspersky? Yeah, um,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, before uh, it was known to have infected the, uh, the Iranian network. Am I mistaken in that?
0: Um, that is possible. I, I believe you're right in that. I think they were looking into it, um, mm-hmm. but it wasn't public knowledge at all. Yeah. And then when everything kind of came to light, they were like, oh, yeah, we've been looking at this for a while. Yes. Um, So I don't mean to steal your thunder. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no worries. Because, yeah, like it does, like, you know, fast forward to the end of the podcast, this has infected more systems than it should have. And that's kind of how a lot of people found out about it. So, yeah, uh, Stuxnet, it's basically just, you know, a worm. It propagates across the file shares on the network, you know. Yeah, it wasn't network aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Windows networks. First of all, why they were using Windows for all this stuff, I'll never understand. But, you know.
1: It might have been di- more or less dictated to them by the uh, by Siemens, the company that that sold them the centrifuge. That most that like the, centrifuge. most likely
0: their software only ran on Windows. I yeah. mean, I I deal with that pretty much day to day at NASA. You know, we have certain software like it's like it only runs on Windows Seven. Have fun. Uh, okay, cool, yeah. great, thanks. It's
1: the same thing with those MRI machines I was talking about earlier. It was mm-hmm. like Windows XP or Windows ninety five or or NT four O.
0: Oh, yeah. We had, uh, simulators that ran on like Windows XP and the thing with simulators, uh, they simulate the spacecraft. So if the spacecraft is in orbit in space. You can't really update the simulator because <laughs> the spacecraft's not going to get updated. So you just kind of keep it and isolate it as much as possible. And, um, just like these, uh, systems like the Iranian, uh, enrichment facility, you know, they're air gapped, but this still found a way in. So. You know, one of the the vectors. It's still kind of foggy as to exactly how this got on the systems, um, but the m- most well thought of idea is that it would infected these systems via USB sticks. You know, I heard tales and rumors back in twenty ten, twenty eleven that uh, how they did it was they just infected a bunch of USB sticks and they just kind of scattered them in parking garages that they knew a lot of these engineers worked at, and then you know, all it took was one or two of them picking up a USB stick, plugging it in, and Bam, got Still
1: a very popular technique for oh, uh, yeah. for for uh, pen testers and 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 stuff to use. Yeah, uh,
0: I knew one guy at who uh, would go to conferences and uh, hand out like you know like oh here's your free USB. But he had infected all of them. And he went to like security conferences, and all the USBs did was say like hey you shouldn't have done that.
1: <laughs> yeah, never trust anybody at a security conference.
0: Yeah, especially if they're handing you a USB. Like no, never plug that in.
1: There was when I was a black hat one year. There was a guy going around, uh, trying uh, from Pakistan uh, playing <laughs> playing a, a, a an immigrant from Pakistan wanting to trade a full size candy bar for your social security number. Right. It being hackers, I have a strong expectation that at least half of the secure social security numbers he got that way were fake ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's he going to do? Verify.
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Also, it's a candy bar. Depending on what type. Like I would totally go for that. So um, do you remember around, uh, was it, 2016, 2017, um, there were a few articles that came out that was like, hey, just so you know, pretty much all USB drives are kind of screwed. And the research had kind of led to uh, USB drives, even if you clean them, um, could be reinfected by the firmware.
1: Yeah, I, I was. I thought it was interesting because that was similar to the old master boot record Worms that that we saw back in the dark days of DOS. A lot of the old school DOS DOS viruses in in that era used to infect mm. master boot records, not just the files.
0: uh okay. Yeah, that was a fun thing I did to my boss one time. Is I rewrote his master boot record to be uh, the neon cat that like uh, the cat with the uh, pop tart body, just like okay. space. Yes. And like every time he started his computer, that's what he saw. And uh, he was not, none too happy about that, but I told him constantly, like, hey, don't leave your computer unlocked around me. <laughs> that could have been, like, another way of infecting these systems is that, you know, it infected uh, by firmware and that spread. So, like, all you needed was one infected USB to drop a payload, and then pretty much every time people plugged in USBs, they were infecting those USBs and carrying them around. So, they were, you know, thought to be, quote-unquote, clean USBs and just infecting more and more. Mm-hmm. So it could have also propagated that way along with the network.
1: but You only need one to get through.
0: Yeah, exactly. When they started doing into this research, they noticed like, hey, the software for this just installs on Windows. And if you know anyone is familiar with Windows, usually if you're installing unknown software, Windows will prompt you, asking you, hey, the software is signed by like, you know, Jimmy John and Carew, Are You sure you really want to install this? And you say yes, and you can check off the box of like, hey never ask me again, but this software never actually prompted that. And the reason being that they found uh, it was utilizing two legit certificates um, with digital signatures that were stolen by, uh, I think it was two uh, Taiwanese companies.
1: Yeah, as I recall, they were Taiwanese companies. One was yeah. a sound driver company, I think.
0: I, I believe so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if we've ever figured out like who stole them. I know like a, a lot of this stuff is like like hey this was stolen from Taiwanese companies this password was stolen from Siemens like and we still don't know like
1: yeah well there's no attribution there's there there is mm-hmm. a lot of supposition that uh that that uh, it was a at least one nation state actor uh oh yeah 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 and we're not going to necessarily say who but there's there's a
0: good indication and i'll get to that well okay if you of, if,
1: you've, if you've got decent evidence I, I i know what the general thinking
0: is <laughs> yeah I, I know the general thinking and you know is you know there's a reasonable doubt but still but yeah it also um so the software used two stolen certificates to basically bypass digital checks on these window systems and then from there, it launched into well, th- Did crazy... it
1: use certificates specifically, or was it, I thought the software was just signed.
0: Or no, you're right, it, it was signed. Yeah, <laughs> so from there, so I, f- I forget how big this was, but the, the video I was watching basically cited that the size of the Stuxnet malware was a good five to six times larger than any other piece yeah, of malware
1: it, we had seen. It was about a meg, it is, yeah. I think it continues to be one of the largest pieces of malware uh, yeah. that, that, that's uh, that's ever been observed, um, yeah. and all the ones that I know of that are bigger are big piles of cruft code. Stuxnet, to my understanding, although I'm not a uh, deconstructor, was was actually really tight and well uh, and well written and well executed.
0: It was it was very well written, and there was a ton of logic in it. So, like once it got onto your system and started infecting your network, it went from system to system. And kind of figured out exactly, like it took a look at the system that had infected and determined if that was one of the targets or not. And the way it did that was, um, you know, first it looked to see if, uh, it was part of an industrial control system in ICL, uh, you know, and had any Siemens software installed on it. It also looked for two, uh, specific chip manufacturers. I can't remember which two those were, but it was only those two. Like if it was Siemens software and it was a different chip manufacturer, it also was like, okay, no, this is not a target skipping. And in those cases where it it skipped, it just basically just lied dormant and did nothing. Um, Mm -hmm. There was no indication that it was even running on your your system. So, and then, you know, it would just propagate to uh, file shares and everything. Once it found a system that it kind of determined was a target, it would actually uh, try to reach out to the internet to uh, um, CNC using, I think it was uh, two sites dedicated to had the name football and then like premierfootball.com, and I think just like footballinfo.com or something like that.
1: I didn't Um, know that. I didn't know that that, that there was a command and control capability.
0: Yeah, and so it would reach out, and it would pull down an updated version of itself. Uh, Those two uh, web servers, one was hosted in Belgium, and I think the other was uh, Iraq, maybe? But obviously, you can host a website from anywhere. So it's not like, oh, crap, the Belgians did it. Damn, they're tasty chocolate. They
1: couldn't. They couldn't commit to it. They they would always be uh, waffling on whether or not to do it.
0: <laughs> exactly. <sighs> Horrible. <laughs> so from there, um, it then compromised the logic controllers using a few zero day vulnerabilities, and it utilized a Siemens password, which was apparently only known by Siemens themselves. So that's like I was saying earlier, like we don't know exactly where that password... Like,
1: who found that out? I wonder if they... Whoever did this, dot, 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 was able to reverse engineer it from a a sample centrifuge.
0: Very possible. Whoever manufactured this had very precise knowledge of what Iran had in their facilities. Like, down to the point where they said, like, with this knowledge, the people also probably knew what the engineers that worked there, their favorite pizza toppings. Like, it was that precise.
1: Right. And so... In that, we can presume a nation state level actor and uh, intelligence ability, which means that they oh, yeah. probably could acquire a sample to work from.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, unlimited resources and unlimited manpower. Yeah, yeah I'm sure they could easily have broken well, through
1: that. Usually I consider a nation state level actor willing to commit 10 million U.S. dollars or more to uh, to a campaign. Um mm-hmm. So it's not unlimited, but it's a lot of but it's a lot of money. You can do a lot of things with that. In fact, uh, I think one of our future episodes, I'm going to uh, posit the theory that that somebody used supercomputer power to uh, to forge a uh, a hash uh, yeah. in order to uh, to actually send out one of the successors of Stuxnet.
0: And so back when I mentioned the uh, ninety thousand RPM thing. Uh, one of the videos I was watching, of one of the researchers who did uh, reverse uh, analysis on this actually said that, like, that was another step it took was even if you had this control system, even if these were the chip manufacturing, uh, things you were targeting, it would look at, you know, the centrifuge and see, does it rotate at this speed? Because if it didn't, then it didn't care because this was not a uranium enrichment, uh, centrifuge. And so, like, it was, it was very nitty gritty did the details and like how it targeted things. I don't know if that's exactly true because later on uh, another one kind of made reference to the fact that this propagated too, too much and caused issues on other centrifuges mm-hmm. um, that obviously weren't uranium enrichment. So, you know, maybe.
1: Oh, that, so that was my question is whether or not, because we know it propagated all a lot further than it was supposed to.
0: Yeah. And supposedly this, you know, this caused issues down the line to like even us companies um and like i'll I'll get to that uh towards the end but suffice to say like i I don't know if it actually cared if it was ninety thousand rpm or not but um anyways what it would do is you know it would sit there and spy on the system and uh collect data you know just kind of watch what was going on uh before it actually took control and started to uh, wreak havoc on the system so obviously you know people picked up that something was going wrong um and these enrichment facilities, but what it would do is it would take the um, the actual good code and store that into memory, and then when the engineers would come and try to investigate the code and see what was going wrong, it would present that good code to them, and so they would be sitting there staring at their code and going, "I don't understand. Like everything is exactly how we programmed it. Wow. How is this? How is this going crazy?" So you know, if if they had just wanted to, you know, wreck these systems completely. Mm-hmm like, bomb the hell out of it. They could have. They could have had all these systems go haywire at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, took them out. But there is a a common thought that this was both an attack on the systems, but also on the people and the engineers to oh. make them kind of go crazy and distrust their own engineers, their own programming, and their own systems.
1: Oh. What, I, what was told to me was it was supposed to not be detectable, and what they were trying to do was rewrite the firmware on the centrifuges to, like, significantly increase the wear and tear on the centrifuges reducing their operational life um, without without actually the Iranians knowing that that's the way it was told to me but I it seems to do
0: both so Mm -hmm. like from uh some of the things I was reading and looking into it, it could like do a very slow wear and tear and just kind of like you know make them be like oh wow those that equipment that we bought like like wore down way faster than we thought it would but it was also kind of wreaking havoc on some of them too. So it's like kind of a a mind game of like, like what exactly is going on? Like these systems are wearing down faster than we thought. These systems are totally fine. These other ones are going completely crazy and we're looking at the code and the code is exactly like what we think it should be and matches the systems that are working fine. And so, you know, just like keeping everyone guessing as to Like, I'm not
1: you know. sure that I don't believe that once out in the wild things didn't quite happen the way that they were supposed to and and it wasn't supposed to be an entirely clandestine thing. but um the Iranians may not have had a good chance of getting more centrifuges, so just yeah, by wearing possible. them out um yeah. you you remove their capability because they can't replace it, yeah, or at least Do- not easily they They would eventually probably be able to develop them mm-hmm. in uh, locally, but that does set the back significantly.
0: Yeah, and like the thought process, you know, you, you had one shot at doing this,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: if the Iranians found out too early because you were, you know, you just jumped the gun too fast and realized what was going on, like you, you blew your chance. That we were going to be way safer down the road,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: so like I, I, think that thought of like you know just a very kind of slow and steady, but also like keeping them guessing uh, every step of the way. So like like even if it was only wearing out um Mm -hmm. the pieces, I feel like most people would kind of realize, wait a second, all of these are wearing out faster, like something's going on here. But if you have, you know, twenty five percent wearing out faster, twenty-five percent going amuck, and then the other fifty are completely fine Mm -hmm. and you don't understand what's going on, you're looking everywhere.
1: We'll never know for sure, but it's very interesting that all of these were possibilities.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like yeah, like we don't know for sure what was going on, so there's tons of speculation and tons of theory crafting and everything but i mean we do know it was meant to target iran's yes. the target uh, is uh, uranium now. enrichment in uh natan's iran so like it was it was very specific so like that we can figure out and um basically one of the the reasons it was found is uh, there was an error in its propagation code and so through that like tiny little error it started propagating to more and more machines and we had like a uh, hundred thousand or so cases of this as opposed to like, you know, 10 to a hundred or maybe even a thousand that they really wanted.
1: And you thought little coding errors would only, like that only happened in office space.
0: Yeah, exactly. Oh no. I mean, I've written I've <laughs> in Python a little bit. I know like how much, how much pain a single tab can be instead of like five spaces. And yeah. also like missing a semicolon in like, you know, thousands of lines of code. It's, it's always fun.
1: And sometimes you don't know what's going to go wrong until it hits the wild.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's great when your debugger also is like, I don't know, there was an error between lines one and 50,000, have fun. (laughs) You know, anyways, this this little error in propagation code is kind of what caused these blue screens that we saw. Mm -hmm. Um, And that led to researchers kind of like looking into it. And like, as you said, Kaspersky also was looking into this all in the, the meantime too. So that kind of leads us to like, who exactly made this? So zero-day vulnerabilities are not cheap. They require a lot of expertise, a lot of manpower. This used not one, not two, but four zero-day exploits to do this entire thing. And, and they're all Windows
1: exploits, which are on That's, the, that's um, a good,
0: like, $400,000 yeah. to $600,000 worth of exploits like that. Obviously, most likely a nation-state. Um, mm-hmm. Only a military is going to, like, think in those aspects of just, like, get the job done, we don't care about the cost.
1: In compare, even in comparison to the zero days, the code itself, the size and sophistication of it is indicative of the kind of the level of attacker. And you don't really get to reuse that and deny the correlated attribution. So like yeah. part of the targeting cost in there is um, you're also burning the malware as well as the zero days.
0: Exactly. And it's, you know, why would a random hacking group have any interest in kind of screwing around with Iran's nuclear program? Yeah. There's, there's nothing in it for them. So there, there are hints in the, in the code that it could be tied back to Israel. Uh, mm-hmm. there's some, like, uh, files and folders named after things that kind of uh, link back to that. But, you know, that means nothing. You can name files and folders, whatever you want. So I will say the NSA has a habit of harboring zero day vulnerabilities for, uh, Windows. Like if you look at Eternal Blue, like that was a very well, not a very well known zero day because we didn't know about it until it actually got leaked. Um, but that was used to, you know, hit the uh, the city of Baltimore for some ransomware.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we're, since we already named them, my the what I had heard more or less was that um, it was probably based on, if not mostly U.S. code, and and they were it was released by the Israelis. As to who ordered the re- the 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 release, there was actually a fair bit of dispute based on uh, from from the folks that I talked to whether it was a joint operation, whether the Israelis jumped the gun.
0: Yeah, I had heard like like, like you know the Israelis and Mossad were the ones that kind of got this on the systems, and that they had also kind of screwed up in a few ways, and that's what led to it being yeah. found out maybe by Kaspersky so quickly. Up again, we don't know, so it yeah. could also have been Santa Claus.
1: Do you think the North Pole is significantly worried about Iranian nuclear proliferation?
0: I mean, yeah, because like in the event of full on nuclear war, like the polar <laughs> ice caps are going to melt
1: now, well, or everybody's moving north and south to, to Antarctica. And, and, yeah, and, and, and,
0: also, uh, Santa Santa has like a ton of free uh, elf slave labor, mm. so I'm pretty sure you could teach a few of them how to code and you yeah. <laughs> know. Get this working, and you can break into anywhere. So
1: that that solves the whole delivery aspect. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
0: Like there's no stop. The, hmm. We could have just cracked this.
1: Yeah. If they, I wonder if they were good little boys and girls that they could have asked for your enriched uranium and not had to deal with the uh, with the centrifuges. They probably could have.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, they just didn't think of that. So um, major issues coming out of this. Uh, you know, even if you were not the target of the uh, software, it you had this on your system, like, you're still not going to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, we got Stuxnet on our system, but, like, it's cool. We're not we're not enriching uranium. So you had a lot of folks just, you know, they're like, well, we got to shut down and wipe these systems, costing, you know, millions of dollars and basically just lost money if the system is down for a day or two. Oh, yeah. Uh, manpower hours, you know, uh, hardware costs, all this sort of thing. And, and like um, you
1: said some centrifuges uh that weren't in the tar- that weren't targeted got affected.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also you know just blue screening random systems.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, a, a good outcome of this is it kind of led to us realizing, oh, SCADA controllers like uh maybe we should probably try to secure them. Like you know, before this a lot of um a lot of these industrial components people were like no no one no one targets that. It's all network based and all. Of, yeah. You
1: know, yeah, it was not very long after this that I remember seeing more and more things come up at DEF CON about SCADA.
0: Yeah, and I mean, they're still not super
1: secure. Like, there's there's mm-hmm. been some movement, but, you know. But it's still, uh, at least to my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that it's all wrappers and and, and, uh, and trying to duct tape over the leaks. Nobody's really taken an attempt at re-engineering Uh, the way all of this stuff works
0: yeah because that costs a crap ton of money and also we have all these in place already and what you're going to tell me now i got to replace all these things hell no! i'm not spending that money
1: nowadays it's really cheap to get some fairly brainy controllers arduinos or even raspberry pi's are are inexpensive in comparison to the industrial machinery that these things Mm -hmm. are attached to you could basically re-engineer the whole thing because now computing power and bandwidth isn't nearly the limitation it was when this stuff was originally built, but you still yeah. have to design an entire protocol and create the entire architecture and uh, software infrastructure around it before people yeah, can exactly. even think about transitioning, even if yeah. cost wasn't the object for the hardware.
0: And yeah, that's, that's a lot of effort. And there is mm-hmm. also this philosophy. I'm sure, you know, you have where you work and it's definitely at NASA of, well, it worked in the past and it yeah. still works right now. And it's like, yeah, but the software was written in Fortran from like 1975. Do you know Fortran? Because I don't. Like it's just it's running, but no one knows how to fix it, and mm-hmm. it God help us if it breaks.
1: Yeah, the infamous technical debt argument. <laughs>
0: yeah, because I think what is it? Library of Congress and a lot of the medical backend all still run on COBOL.
1: Uh, I can tell you for sure that the primary databases. That uh, that Social Security uses for tracking everything and sending out all of those checks that so many people rely on is totally COBOL. Yeah. Uh, I've known I've known some folks that 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 actually do some of that backend work, and they do some super sophisticated stuff with COBOL, and they're running like modern COBOL uh, emulation and, and using and using more advanced versions of COBOL where that where they've added a bunch of macros and and mm. extended it, but it's still COBOL. <laughs>
0: You can you can still make a like for anyone listening to this podcast. You can make a hefty amount of money if you learn COBOL and Fortran. Like
1: yeah, getting something to practice on might be a little bit of work.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would be difficult, but yeah, like you can definitely swing it. Like
1: my dad was a big COBOL guy for for a long time, and I've heard some things that make me want to never touch the stuff. Um, <laughs> one of the stories he likes to tell is that there's a that the built-in sort function as it's oh, okay. really awful and you want to basically hand roll your own anytime you're doing a thing yeah uh, and i mean you can do a bubble sort you can do an index sort, you can you take a bunch of approaches depending on the data set you're going after but right. don't use the default one ever <laughs> that's <laughs> great
0: yeah and then you know all of this um all this code is out there like it's been autopsied oh it's yeah for stuxnet so you, you can go look at it now and you know a lot of hackers have looked at this code. A lot of other nation states have looked at this code and been like, "Oh yeah, that's a really good concept. Like, let's let's utilize like how, how they do things."
1: Yeah, you, know, you well, see a lot of like
0: APTs kind of leveraging uh, the approach that Stuxnet used. Yeah.
1: Well, that, was a, that and that was the second point is that for all of the incident response impact that it had, um, the other thing is on the targeting side, they only partially succeeded, mm-hmm. and. Um, More than that, their hand was tipped, not just to the adversary that was being attacked, Iran, but also the rest of the world. And we alluded to it a few times, uh, and you just said it, is that some of the techniques that were developed here were used in future malware. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like this spawn, Dooku, Flame, and Gauze, uh, to name a few.
1: Well, my understanding is that Flame and Dooku probably came from the same source as Stuxnet.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I believe so. Um, I know
0: Dooku was basically just Stuxnet, but did uh, espionage.
1: Yeah, um, my understanding is that it was is that it that uh, code autopsy uh, it's like it's like half Stuxnet and and all of the sophistication that that was Stuxnet, and then a bunch of really junky module code that goes yeah, on top of it. So yeah,
0: it was just, it was just like a Frankenstein monster.
1: <laughs> yeah, but like you've named three of the primary. At least back um, several years ago, uh, examples of signed malware. Um, It was Stuxnet was the first piece of signed of code signed malware that Mm -hmm. I was aware of that would pass the um, Microsoft um, trusted computing code validation stuff by being signed.
0: Yeah, and like a lot of um, the security, like nowadays, like there there is a a trust factor, Mm -hmm. and like you know, Windows was, was set up to trust software that had these digital signatures. And, you know, if you could steal these, then yeah. you could just run amok.
1: Yeah, well, and and that ends up being a really big deal. But also, signed malware is still something at a major or nation state level actor level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's probably a seven figure plus, uh, like as in you need to dedicate a million dollars worth of resources or more to even having a chance at distributing this stuff. But mm-hmm, that doesn't yeah. that doesn't exclude even some of the organized crime stuff that we that we know about.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly.
1: Um, it's a big postmortem. and like you said, it's a uh, the postmortem lives on. People still mm-hmm. study it for it and its implications. But it oh, also yeah.
0: and there's still mm-hmm. like there's there's stuff that I you know learned while researching this that I completely forgot when I was running the outline.
1: I uh, there were there were a few things that I that uh, I hadn't heard about.
0: There's even more bizarre stuff it could do or like how it targeted systems and whatnot.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it shows that when released, you can't be sure that your targeting works. Uh, uh, sometimes code does not uh, survive confrontation with the enemy. Yeah, yeah um,
0: exactly. I was gonna say no plan survives contact with the enemy.
1: And, and again, it was a disk-based propagation method. It mm. wasn't even network aware mm. other than apparently the, uh, the command and control callback. Yeah and it still managed to propagate enough where i know that multiple uh antivirus vendors found it independently kaspersky was the first um yeah. but they all found it. it it propagated all over the place um so just because you're not the target doesn't mean that it's not an issue in fact we're recording not very long after the solar winds um <laughs> issue came yep. up and there's reason to believe that some of the folks that may have been infected were not uh, targeted but for uh, for, act- for actual exploitation. That they had them, but the, the attackers didn't do anything with it because they didn't want to reveal, like they weren't interested in hacking everybody. They were interested in yeah, hacking yeah. some folks.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: <clears throat> but yeah,
0: um, that's all I have for Stuxnet.
1: That was great.
0: Recording notes can be found at www.hackingthegibson.online. Follow #hackthegibbs1 on Twitter to get notified of new recordings. Support the continued observation of hacking the Gibson on Patreon.